The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast presented by Union Bank and Trust. My name's Derek Peterson. I'm joined this week by Brady Holtman's Hill Varsity's newest football and recruiting writer. Brady, hello. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. We're um, still getting the, the final move-in stages uh, knocked out here, but it's uh, it's good to be back in Nebraska and back in Lincoln, so thanks for having me. Yeah. It, okay. I'm looking at you know the people that are listening to this in traditional podcast form aren't going to have any idea what I'm talking about, but look, we're on YouTube and I'm looking at sort of the background that you have going on. Um, is this an apartment or is this a house? Because I love it. And I didn't have anything like this when I was in like, <laughs> it's an apartment. Um, the, the true background is a little deceiving. It's a big mirror. So it makes it seem a lot bigger, oh. um, than it actually is. But I got my, um, little kind of kitchen nook, a breakfast nook and my bookshelf has completely, uh, been filled already. And those boxes have been stowed away. So it's, it's, uh, it's starting to feel a little bit more like home. Yeah. Good. Um, Tell me a little bit about yourself. What you've been doing? Where you've been writing? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a small town Nebraska guy, born and raised um, in Knuckles County, outside of Nelson. Um, and straight out of uh, high school, I went to UNL and um, stuck with that. Got a part time job at the Journal Star, and I was there from August 2011 to June 2016. Uh, kind of growing and getting more responsibilities until it was like, well, we have no full-time jobs to offer you. So, um, kind of look around and I found a full-time job out in Casper, Wyoming. So I hopped over there and basically just covered like high school sports across the entire state. Um, the Casper paper is the only statewide newspaper. So I was covering, you know, all corners of Wyoming and just loved doing the sports thing there. Um, when the pandemic happened, it kind of, you know, shook things up. So I was still doing sports features and stuff on the side, uh, but kind of hopped in more like news side stuff. And then that got me for a brief time. I was editor of the newspapers, um, in Seward, Crete, Wil Wilbur, Friend and Milford, Nebraska here. Um, but when you're one guy running five weekly papers with two reporters, it gets a little tough and got offered a little, a job back in Wyoming um, in Pinedale running the two papers there. And then after about a year and a half of that, I said, Hey, I want to get back in sports college pro sports is what I've been wanting to do. That's why I got into this business. Um, so I went back to the family farm uh, for a little bit when my lease ran out and waited for something to pop up. And that was about a month about three weeks before I reached out and started talking with Hale, with Hale Varsity. So uh, here we are. Welcome. That's awesome. 
happy to have you part of the team. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride here. Um, you know, I guess total eleven years since I started to really get to write about college sports um, like I've wanted to, and it's kind of wild and full circle that it comes back here in Lincoln and for Nebraska and a, a team that I'm very familiar with, having watched them since you know ninety four, ninety five, or however I'm old enough to remember things. So it's it's wild. You picked a remarkable year. <laughs> to come back and it kind of it kind of reminds me of my first year on the well i don't know if i want to say that not totally because my first year on the beat mike riley got fired but like it was a year where it was there was a lot riding on the line and you kind of yeah. knew that to begin the season and this is definitely a year where there's a lot riding on the line and you certainly know that to begin the season um we're gonna dive in and talk about running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, skill position talent, in a little bit. I want to take a second and thank the sponsor, FSC Edge. I ask questions for a living. The best Q&A sessions that I've ever been in have been ones where I felt like the person on the other side of the tape recorder was invested in me just as much as I was invested in them. Talk to folks who've worked with FSC Edge, who have gone to the offices, who have met with, and they will all tell you the same thing you'll get the same kind of treatment. FSC Edge integrates AI technologies, case management tools, and augmented operators to optimally process patent documents quickly and accurately. They work with some of the largest patent offices around the world to manage thousands of patent applications and granted patents. We're talking about a place that deals on a massive scale, protecting inventors and advancing innovation, but does so in a way that makes every client who walks in the door feel important and heard. FSC Edge is always looking for new members to come on board and join their team. You'll be doing impactful work and learning about patents in a welcoming, easygoing environment. Check out available jobs today by going to jobs at fsc.com. Two like big news things happened this week that I want to ask you about before we before we get into those. So the first thing is we're recording this Thursday evening, Thursday afternoon. Um, Thursday morning, the Big Ten announced its new meteorites agreement you're gonna have fox in the morning noon depending on what part of the country you're in you're gonna have cbs in the afternoon to replace the sec on cbs but we still get the same theme music which is fun and then you're gonna have nbc in prime time we're also gonna have college football games on peacock which sucks because i don't like peacock but this is a big deal this is a very big deal it's a seven-year agreement for the big 10 and some of the numbers that have been floated, I've seen some people report seven million or seven billion total. I've seen some people report uh, eight billion total. As a, as a lot of money, they're going to get about one point two um, annually. And so, I guess to kind of localize this, how big a deal is this for Nebraska? Oh man, it's potentially huge. I mean, the real, the, because it is a very, like TV rights is very convoluted and gets into a lot of weeds, but basically like what Husker fans need to know and what's pertinent is that you're, you could potentially need all three. I mean, you could need Peacock to watch a Husker game, like probably like Huskers um, in Illinois or Nebraska Rutgers. One of the Nebraska Northwestern at noon or eleven thirty is absolutely going to be on Peacock one of these years. 100%. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
and and then you get a deal with um maybe when cbs actually starts picking it up they'll have some games possibly streamed exclusively on paramount plus so you might it unfortunately and i don't think it was even possible just the way things are there was no like hub for college football so you have no just one like streaming service to get a hold of so if you do want to follow a team now you've got to have you know espn plus peacock paramount plus and all that stuff but um the deal is backloaded so really nebraska is not going to and most of the big ten isn't going to feel like the full benefits of this until about 2024 uh, when UCLA and USC join in, but I mean, you're talking what, I, like an estimated annual payout of around like 80, 85, some million dollars a year versus I think it was like 30 set 38, 39 on what they were getting. Um, each team or school was getting pre pandemic 1920. So they're like weird numbers and everything like that. But I think the I mean, reported number for the last fiscal year was 54. I think that was what the reported was for the payout for the last year was 54. So like yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 20, 30 million increase when we get into year three of this deal. Yeah. I mean, that's just who, who doesn't want that much extra money, you know, and I'm sure the big 10 will kind of use that to embolden themselves a little bit. Um, obviously that's a big draw for USC and UCLA who, were making they were making even less than like the current big 10 um payouts were so i mean that's just worlds away for them and for you know for as big of brands as they are and as big of a city as they are it's just on paper it's a match made in heaven while on a map it's it's still a head scratcher yeah it's fun (laughs) um yeah i mean for for a program as fiscally healthy as Nebraska is and, and, you know, seemingly for an athletic department that looks like it's going to be as well run as, as this one will be with Trev Alberts at the helm. Um, you can be able to do a lot of stuff with this and it makes, you know, it makes this facility project that they're currently working on, um, I guess less of a stress point for Trev. I don't know if it was a stress point or not less of a stressor for him, you know, you can do more stuff like that in the future and you can continue to do stuff like that in the future. And you also be able to be a little bit more competitive with some of your support staff, um, some of your recruiting staff with your, obviously your coaching staff salary pool. Um, you know, when, when this money starts coming in, like there's a reason that Oregon and Washington and, you know, some of the big 12 schools would like to get into the sec or the big 10, because this is going to further stratify the, the power five level of college football. Um, and so it's funny because when this got announced, I immediately thought back to Nebraska leaving the big 12 and I was like, gosh, what a, you know, we've sort of relitigated that move a ton over the last decade, but like, what, like, what are we looking at right now with Nebraska athletics? If they don't make the jump from, from the Big 12 to the Big 10 10 years ago. It's it's wild to think about kind of where they are now because of what happened 10 years ago. Um, so that was one thing that happened. The other thing that happened, <laughs> and it kind of got buried, was uh, was Pete Thamel reported on Wednesday, I think, that um, the College Football Playoff Board of Managers was discussing, a, uh, discussing the potential for a break from the NCAA. And it was very, very 
um, introductory conversations or in that discussion buried in the report uh, was Thamel's writing that we might also get an expanded playoff before the end of the current deal, which I believe is 2025, that they might potentially look into opening up the playoff a little bit, which was something that uh, the <laughs> the Alliance was opposed to in the, the last round of uh, playoff kind of talk that we got uh, over the summer, over the spring, whatever that was. Um, are you in favor of 12-team, 8-team, 16-team? Just keep it where it is with the playoff. Where, where are you at with this? Oh, man. Um, well, personally, I'm... I have a fondness for the 18 because I think that's what um, like NCAA Game Breaker uh, 98 was. They had like an 18 playoff on, oh, was it Sega Genesis or something? When, you know, I was playing as a kid. Um, so I've got some sort of fondness. Maybe it's the original PlayStation, you know, one of those things. Um, but looking at it now and realistically, I think 12 teams is probably the most logical way to go. Um, you give the autonomous four or five, whatever you want to call it, automatic bids, and then you kind of get a committee or however you want to do it to divvy up the rest. Um, obviously, you want to give some sort of reward to the top four teams as like a, a buy or something for being that good while still giving other people a shot um, at the, you know, at the national championship with I, and I understand people bringing up some of the similarities to like NCAA basketball tournament and March Madness and all of that, but you know, it's a completely different sport, completely different way that we see and watch and consume football versus basketball. So um, I think 12 teams sounds good to me now. And then just like anything else, we'll kind of look at it after three, four years and see if we like it enough to change it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. It'll, I mean, that's probably what'll happen, and that's what a lot of the um, can't really call them traditionalists because the playoff isn't a traditional thing. But that's what a lot of, I guess, detractors of a of a expanded playoff will tell you is you, you, they'll expand, and then four years from now we'll say, hey, this isn't enough because the SEC is getting seven teams in every single year, and then we'll need to expand again, and eventually, you know, we're sitting at a thirty-two team playoff or sixty-four like the NCAA tournament. Um, 64 is never going to happen, but like that, you know, we'll see. But, um, the, so one of the, one of the things that was in, um, Thamel's report was that the, the board of managers feels that there's just too much money being left on the table with a 14 playoff. And <laughs> when you start talking about finances, all the other problems go away real quick. Um, as we've seen with sort of big 10 conference expansion and, um, obviously with the, the deal that we just talked about and, and SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma, it's all about TV networks and how much money is wrapped up in the business of college football. So that'll be something interesting to kind of watch going forward. Let's, let's get back to talking about Nebraska specifically. I said, I wanted to ask you about the skill position talent. Um, I don't know what the heck is going on at tight end behind Travis Vokalek. It sounds like it's just going to be who, who is healthy that week will play. Um, wide receiver, um, 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 uh, running back is where I want to start though, because Ramir Johnson was the guy last year after Gabe Irvin got hurt. Um, I think Ramir, yeah, Ramir played the most snaps last year 
at, at tailback of anyone. 168 snaps. He had 111 rushing attempts. Ramir calls himself a wide back. Ramir, it, slot back, wide receiver, offensive player, whatever you want to term Ramir Johnson. It sounds like they're just going to try to put him on the field. You got to talk to him or, or at least hear from offensive guys on Thursday. I guess what do you make of this, this situation with Ramir Johnson and what they want to do at running back? Well, it's really fascinating. Um, and I mean, even just the description of offensive player isn't all encompassing. He's been taking a lot of reps at special teams and Bill Bush the other day just credited Ramir with being able to jump in and just do whatever. Um, I know he uh, spoke to media to, uh, on Thursday after practice and said, you know, I'm willing to do anything, step in anywhere to be able to help out. And he, that definitely shows in the the wide back, as he likes to refer to himself. And I think, you know, it's in the evolving game of football and also with Whipple's offense and the various things that he'd like to do at Pittsburgh and the kind of little sample sizes you can maybe put in the Petri dish before he's at Nebraska. A dynamic back like that is always a benefit. I mean, this guy's willing to to run routes out of the backfield. He's willing to step up and pass protection and everything like that. But I don't know. Um, it's... He also said that this is the tightest uh, competition group of backs that he's seen um, talent to talent since he's been here. Uh, Mark Wibble also spoke to media today and said that in addition to no starter at quarterback, there's been no definitive like depth chart or starter at running back either. Right now it's about up to five guys, including Ramir. So, I mean, if you want to be cynical about it, say, yeah, they've got a favorite and they've got a pecking order, but they want to wait until, you know, right before kickoff to, to announce it. Sure. But I mean, let's, you can also look at it from the way of this team's endured a lot last year. And that offense was uh, anemic at times. They want to really get the most competition and like sharpen the most iron that they can out of it, as I'm sure every team does in the country. But I mean, running back at Nebraska has historically been a, a top tier position and they want to make sure they get the right guy. Um, Ramir offers something that I don't want to say the other backs don't possess, but I mean, when he's able to step in and do all of that, that's, that's got to count for something. Um, he's not going to be the big bruiser guy that gets you, you know, two yards on a third and one, but it's it's nice to know that he's available to call upon for whatever you know the the offense calls up. Yeah, that bruiser is Yant. Yeah, um, they've got so they've got Gabe Irvin who's coming off injury. They've got Ramir Johnson who is kind of can be that versatile, do a bunch of stuff for you back. They've got Yant who can be sort of the um, the, the more traditional kind of power back, and then they've got Anthony Grant who's the JUCO guy. Um, they brought three running backs in in this 2022 class two of them are freshmen aj allen you know i i don't think aj allen's gonna play a ton maybe you would disagree there but i kind of look at this room and think that um you've got you've got four guys with grant with ramir with gabe Irvin, as long as he's healthy and and with uh yant i don't necessarily care who the starter is i don't necessarily care if they give us a depth chart um, ahead of week one. And I don't necessarily care how the order is listed on that depth chart. The thing I care most about, does Nebraska have a thousand yard rusher anywhere on this roster? Do you think they have one? It's tough to tell right now. And that's mostly just from the perspective of, I wonder how long it's going to take for a definitive number one to develop. 
I mean, you've got the the season opener at North, well, against Northwestern in Ireland. I mean, you can kind of they should be able to to scratch some yards up there, but it's also Northwestern and you know Fitz's defense and they they make it tough on running backs. And then they have they come back and it's a quick turnaround, short rest before getting ready for North Dakota. Not a great FCS opponent, but you know the the body clock changes going over the Atlantic that much, and they're going to be sore and not a hundred percent. It's also um, a Dakota school, which gets you. I guess I should rephrase. I guess I should rephrase. Do they have a thousand yard talent back? Do they have a back with the talent of if you give him two hundred carries, he can get a thousand yards? Do they have one of those guys on this roster? Because maybe that they don't have a back that gets two hundred yards, maybe or two hundred carries. Maybe they don't even have a back that gets one hundred and eleven carries again like Ramirez did. But do they have a guy that that if given that kind of a workload would be talented enough to get there? Um, just from what I've seen so far, um, I think Grant's got a, a, an upside. There's some sort of like just talent and athleticism, um, to be able to grind out four yards at a time, but also, you know, hit the corners and bust out a big run from time to time. Um, you've also just got to be thick and durable enough to handle the rigors of a big 10 schedule and still get the carries, you know, into late October and early November. Um, the, I mean, these are things that I like and to speak to the benefits of that um, running back package and that core early on in the season, because if you've got a definitive number one now, there's really no telling that that guy is going to be healthy enough to carry the ball, you know, 15 to 17 times a game come Michigan, you know? Um, but talent wise, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think they've got the talent and um, Mark Whipple also talked today about the offensive line depth being where he wants it. They're healthy on the line now um, with, with where they're at about a week before the team kicks off in Dublin. So that's only a benefit to those running backs and can, can help them get to where they want to go. Do you want to see Johnson used in sort of the, I don't know if people are going to get mad at me for evoking his name, but sort of used in the Wando Robinson role. I think that would benefit him. He talked about, um, you know, some of his running back idols and the guys he likes to emulate his game after. Um, and coaches have even likened um, a comp to uh, Brian Westbrook. And I could definitely see him, if he's adaptable enough and coachable enough to fill the roles where coaches want him to be, which is entirely in line with what we've seen from him so far and had all indications of so far is he could, he could definitely do something like that. Um, Whipple said he doesn't want the, the quarterbacks to get hurt, but he would like to see quarterbacks be involved in the run game. So that only opens up things a little bit more for him to be kind of like the Wandale role of maybe get out wide, you know, have, quarterbacks go a little bit more into the B and C gap while he's getting out wide around to the receivers. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a cheap way out to say, well, we haven't seen him on the field yet and we haven't seen games, you know, yet to judge, but that's also the thing just as with the season as a whole, this new offense, everybody filling in, anything's possible right now. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. So let's change gears a little bit. 111 carries last year for Ramir. 18 targets. 16 receptions in the past game. If he is now in fall camp a month before the season, moving out to wide back, slot back, taking significantly more snaps in the slot to the point where it becomes a story. Do you think that that should be interpreted as commentary on Ramirez's skill set or Nebraska's lack of wide receiver separation? Man. That's tough because especially with like the status of the coldest um, kind of being up in the air now, um, I trust that Nebraska is able to get these recruits. They're able to get these receivers and skill position players that can fill out a role like that. Um, I mean, if, if Ramir is getting an infinite amount of receptions and everything, I mean, that would be a, just purely in a vacuum. That's a source of concern for me. But if they're able to, you know, do it in motion and him moving out wide and make it as part of like that package wide out or wide back as, as he's referring to himself, that falls completely in line with, with something that I think is th- that's part of the brilliance of what he does and what makes him stand out. Um, it's like the, you know, the Mike Leach offense where why is your quarterback throwing it 65 times? Well, because part of those are just three yard out routes that function as, you know, an off tackle run. Um, so it's all in, the, it's all in the context of the offense, but yeah, in a vacuum, him getting that many receptions is going to be kind of a concern to me, but man, if, if, if it's in those packages and in those dynamic sets, I think that not very many defenses are going to be able to stretch to match, you know, his speed and athleticism and everything in from the backfield and out wide. So if we've, um, I'm going to give you six names wide receiver and tell me if, if you think that those six guys are all guys that are in, in the, I guess the rotation at receiver, the top six at wide receiver, if there's a name that I've left off. Omar Manning, Alante Brown, Oliver Martin, Trey Palmer. Oh, let's see. Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda. (sighs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Ty Han, Brody Belt. Like, do do you think they have six? Um, you know, I could definitely see Brody Belt stepping up and doing something. Um, coaches have really admired him so far this week. Um, he talked with us a little bit on Tuesday um, about his role, where he sees himself, what he wants to be. Um, I could see him stepping up now. A definitive sixth that might be pushing it for him, but hey, I mean, again, we're still we're talking before the first game here, and if he's impressing so far in fall camp, um, you give him a chance to to get the ball. Maybe he doesn't let that chance go. You know, maybe he just seizes that opportunity to to rise up the depth chart through game reps or something. Um, Ty Han is kind of fascinating to me. Um, I mean, he's got the body structure to fit in. He stands out a little bit. It's a little unique. And just the, I don't want to use the generic term toughness, but he is, you know, that Nebraska tough guy that you have on staff that kind of just for, he's not going to go down for no other reason than he knows that he'll never hear it again, you know, at Johnson Brock, uh, if he's ever, you know, if he gets tackled for a three yard gain instead of a, a 20, you know, so little things like that that just kind of a factor into it all but yeah um i'm sure in the next couple of days we'll kind of get a little bit more going they've worked a lot more in uh red zone offense the last couple of days so i think that that will definitely stand out i mean if you got a guy a receiver that can get the fades pull down some some big red zone catches watch them shoot right up the depth chart who am i leaving i'm leaving someone out who am i leaving out there's a name that that's escaping me. Who am I leaving out? Marcus Washington from Texas. There you go. Yeah. That's what I'm leaving out. That was the sixth that I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, this I mean, this wide receiver room is a group that that you know we've been talking about. Did I mention Omar Manning? Maybe I didn't mention Omar yeah. Manning. No, I you did. Had Omar. Okay. All right. I mean, this is there's just so many names with this group, and it feels like we've been waiting on some of these guys for years. I feel like I've been waiting on some of these guys for years and years. Um, that. You know, I think a lot of people are just in the boat of, let's just see what you can give us. Because, I, you know, I expect, I think most people expect that the coaching is going to be better with Mickey Joseph. There's a there's a baseline level of faith, confidence in Mickey Joseph that he's going to be able to get this room working, that he's going to be able to get this room playing at a at, at a high level or, or, you know, pushing up to reaching maybe the ceiling of the, the collective group. But, you know, it's just, this is a wide receiver room that just hasn't, done much in Scott Frost's tenure, really. Um, I, I guess, you know, wh- what's your overall confidence level with this group as we're, you know, depending on when people are listening to this, a, a week, a little, little, under, little under or a little over a week from the start of the season? And it's, well, it's even tough because like you said, um, they've, it's, it's like these, these players are here and we've been hearing their names so much and we're waiting for, you know, that, that big moment, that big catch or something for them to establish themselves. Um, but even you've got guys that come out now, receivers out of Nebraska, even over the last five years that are, you know, fighting for NFL spots and they're playing big in, in preseason, you know, they're, so there's something there. And again, it's Nebraska. I mean, this is a, a big brand, for lack of a better term. So you're going to get the talent. You're going to be able to get even the skill position guys to come in. So you know that there's talent there, and you know that there's a reason why coaches bring them in. But it's 
I don't know, something's got to shake. And I wonder if some of it is a, a shakeup in offense that might help a little bit with the coaches. I mean, players have really talked a lot about uh, so far in camp. They've talked a lot about the coaches um, really helping them get amped up. Um, Mark Whipple was saying how they're still adding plays and they're still working with different units and getting a good mixture going and to see whose chemistry fits in where, which is about, about right where you want it to be now before you fully transition into, we kind of know where we are headed into the season opener, but I don't know. And then obviously with the, you know, the, the injury, the injury issues have always kind of just been, you know, looming there. Um, and especially into fall camp, you want to make sure everybody's healthy. So you kind of just, you, you just hope that everybody stays, stays healthy enough going into this point, um, going into the season opener. But yeah, I don't know. It's the talent's certainly there. You, it's just going to be who's finally going to break through. And with all the bad luck and the bad breaks and the, you know, maybe self-inflicted mistakes and um, self-inflicted outcomes Nebraska had last year. You just got to think that there's the, unless the football gods are christening this as the decade of payback for three decades of dominance, you know, before, and this is, you know, retribution for every other team in the country. You just got to think that like those, you know, the coins got to flip around and Nebraska is going to be able to catch some of the other side of those breaks eventually. And, and that'd be a good time for it to happen. I feel like being the best three win team in the history of college football is, <laughs> is retribution enough. I don't know what else you could, the college football gods could ask for from Nebraska. I mean, last year was pretty painful um, at tight end. Yeah. Travis Bokalek is obviously set in stone. He's, he's the top guy. Um, but I mean, you know, they're going to have more than just Travis Vokalek on the field. And so you want to look for two or three guys behind him. Um, this room is a room that just doesn't seem like it can stay healthy. So Thomas Fedoni, I was listening to um, BC and Schaefer recently, and Brian Christopherson, 247 Sports, said that he thinks that Nate Borkacher could be a player in the tight end room. Um, so... Thomas Fedoni, Borkacher, James Carney, Chancellor Brewington, AJ Rollins, Chris Hickman. Give me four names. Travis Vokalek is obviously one. So give me give me three guys behind Travis Vokalek that you think will be in the rotation at tight end this year. Um Bork and Hickman are the two that stand out right now. I think you could kind of be a a revolving door for that final spot. Um, Cause those, those are the two guys that really kind of stand out to me so far um, as the ones who have impressed me, you know, after vocal Um, those have been the guys that really seem like they offer something a little bit different. They're still going to be able to block really well. Um, they're going to be able to get off the line and even just like a little, you know, delay leak route or something like that, just to, but again, not to we haven't seen what Whipple's offense here looks like at game speed yet. Um, so until then, I mean, everything's out in the open. But um, and just by timing, I haven't been able to see everybody in those reps or everybody in the same positions 
um, at tight end doing the same things to see who's, you know, whose exact traits are where. But from what I've seen so far, that's that's kind of the way it goes uh, to me. Um, I like I like what Hick- Hickman brings, um, and I could see him stepping in and and doing something big. But like every other position it's uh it's going to be competitive and i'm a big fan of tight ends being a former eight-man football tight end myself um slash center slash water guy and anything else that they needed at the eight-man fields but um i i'm excited to see it because i think looking back at some of the film of the pit offense last year um you had some big names but tight ends were doing something really cool there too um on film so i'm i I'm kind of excited to see what that looks like at Nebraska. So not to, not to just sidebar derail the conversation, but uh, eight man football, fully stocked bookshelf in the new apartment. Um, Swansea city randomly showing up on the Twitter feed, (laughs) small town, Nebraska newspaper. I I feel like Brandon Vogel just hired you on the spot. Yeah. Well, um, it was, uh, it took little convincing, I think. (laughs) Um, I've even joked it with Brandon. He's, you know, he's the small town, Western Nebraska guy. Um, and then I said, well, I, I've got no claim to Western Nebraska, but my high school graduating class was 19. So I got him beat on the small town thing. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, then I'll say anybody who questions my Nebraskaness, um, believe me, I can, I can put down sweet corn with the best of them and, I can talk eight man and six man football um, to you all weekend. <laughs> I feel like, um, I mean, my high school graduating class was close to a thousand. Oof! I can't. Oof. Im- I can't imagine nineteen, and I'm sure you probably can't imagine a thousand. No, wow. a, a thousand is more than um, my hometown of Nelson and the adjoining town of Lawrence that co-opted to make those combined. Uh, so, it's. Um, but then again, we I, I know we played some playoff games at Lawrence where the the attendance was rumored to be over a thousand. So, oh. yeah, I, I mean, you know, if, if you're if you're not careful talking about some of this stuff around the football facility, Scott Bryce is going to sign you up to the team. You're like well, a long snapper or something <laughs> that you can take with them on road trips. Well, I, Scott, if you're listening, I do have some eligibility left. <laughs> I really hope Scott Frost does not listen to this podcast. So <laughs> not be able to go back to Nebraska anytime soon. Um, what can you What can you tell me about Thomas Fedoni? Is he going to play this year? I'd like to see it because I mean, there's something about that guy that just gets you. It gets you excited. He's kind of like to me. I view him as like a, an X factor um, that's going to be. I can't even think of a good comp for him. He's just, he's just a guy that when you, you hear him talk or you, you hear secondhand from the coaches about how, how coachable and hardworking he is. My, my instinct is okay, well, let's see it, you know, let's get him out on the field. Um, I hope it's not one of those, you know, uh, red, white scrimmage legends about how, Oh, who was it? Oh, um, like back in the day of Patrick O'Brien's going to win the Heisman. I'm telling you. All right. This is, I've, I saw him at the scrimmage and he's going to be big time kind of thing. Um, I, and, and for the sake of, for him and like with all the players, I hope they get their chance to do something, you know, whatever they do with that opportunity, 
it's up in the stars, but give them the opportunity and you want guys who make the most out of it. Um, so I'm, I'm pulling for him and I, I hope he sees some extended time um, so we can see what he can do because yeah, I think, I think if given the opportunity, he could do something really cool. Bro just needs to be healthy. Just needs to be healthy. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Um, I, where does Swansea yeah. City come from? I wanted to ask you this at the outset. Where does Swansea City come from? Um, well, I'll give you the elevator pitch. Um, I... I was a soccer player in middle school because they wouldn't football was too rough during recess. So, um, I had to play soccer. Um, and then I kind of got into it in more of like a casual fandom way. And I would have played soccer at Hastings high had, um, gas not been so expensive and I had to drive an hour to and from practice every day. So instead I was a, a track guy at Lawrence Nelson again. Um, but it was 2012. I've decided, all right, I'm going to get back into the Premier League, but I need to find a team that I liked. And Swansea City checked all the boxes. They were newly promoted. They're the Swans. They just came up for the first time to the Premier League. Um, they are from Wales, and they were the first Welsh team to get promoted. And I like that they were kind of, you know, the outsiders in that perspective. Um, and I don't know. I was just like, all right, we'll give them a shot. And then that first year, um, they had Michu, who is just the streets will never forget Michu. Um, once in a life, it's such a like a, a Nebraska story too, because it's like this guy who was kind of plucked from a second tier division in Spain, just kind of under the radar of everybody else, but he gets brought into the system where he fits in and he just sets you know the whole league ablaze. He's scoring twenty some goals in his first season and the scrappy team who a lot of people thought were going to get relegated 10 years after they almost just dropped out of professional soccer altogether in England. He's now got them beating Manchester United and in the top half of the table. And from then on, I was like, okay, these are the scrappy guys. These are the, the Welsh guys that nobody really thinks about. Okay. These are going to be my guys. And since then they've been relegated from the premier league. So they're down the championship and the last couple of years have been tough, but being, being a South Wales club that 
I can identify with being the outsider and being the, the farm kid in a, a media conglomerate of uh, people from Missouri and uh, accountants and lawyers' children um, in my time of my decade plus of being in journalism. Um, I don't know. It just it resonated with me, and now I'm a, a Swansea guy. That's a really good reason to like the team that you like. My reason's not that good. And now I don't want to share my reason with you because you're, I feel like I'm going to be judged. You know, I'm a Spurs guy and I probably shouldn't be because it's just a miserable existence. Well, I can identify with that over the last couple seasons, but it's just, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. I was telling somebody the other day that I'm ready for the Harry Kane experience at Spurs to be over, which I feel like makes me not a Spurs fan. Um, but I'm just ready for it to be done. I'm ready to move on to something new. So. No, no. Every fan hits that point. I was that way with Jack Cork. I wasn't a big fan. If you go to Swansea and say that, I think they'd run you out of at least three pubs. But I was like, you know what, Jack Cork? It's it's been great. It was great for those few weeks, but go on and get. So it's tough. It's been it's been great for a few years. Um, the I want to leave and I want to go to Manchester City just really soured me against Harry Kane, and so. Um, I don't know. You know, we'll see what we'll see what happens with Spurs. They're not going to win it. They're not going to win any any trophies though, so I don't have to worry about having my heart broken that way. I'm I'm a couple of degrees removed from Spurs of late. After the Champions League loss to Liverpool a few years ago, I was like, yeah, I don't need to invest this much emotional. Uh, I don't know this much emotional real estate into Spurs. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say you'll always have that Champions League final. I, you know, the um, the Lucas Mora, Mora moment where he scores right at the very end um, to get us to that final. We'll always have that. I'll always remember that. That'll be that'll be that'll be the moment that season ended. That's that's what I tell myself. That's the moment that the season ended. Yeah, it, it, well, we can end on a high note. No, I'm with you. I've got my. Even just lately, since relegation, I've got that um, FA Cup quarterfinal against Man City, which, again, personifies what I love about the club. They have a well-put-together run in the box, get fouled, get a penalty kick that's deserved. And because the right back comes up and gets attacking and catches them off guard and draws a foul, they slot the penalty, make it, and then they're getting bombarded by mighty Manchester City. And just out of nowhere... um, uh, not Fabianski, Norfelt, who was playing goal, just kicks it out. And then two passes, and Dan James is out running, kicks it over um, to Nathan Dyer, who one touch passed to Selena and slots it in the opposite side. Keep in mind, Husker fans, okay, because I realize a lot of you might have skipped forward now. This is like being just in blanketed, blanketed by a defense just out of nowhere. And then the most beautiful just goal line, like on your own two-yard line, let's run something off tackle just to get out of the shadows. And darting through each level is your running back. And just you hear the roar of the crowd because this this match was at Swansea. You hear the roar of the crowd once that back gets to the secondary and you see that he beats the safeties and out and it's just a foot race. And just that roar, that's exactly what it felt like. And then – Swansea end up losing on a goal that was that should have been ruled off sides, but penalty, but VAR was not available for that time. And then 
just double save after double save. And then uh, a penalty was awarded that arguably VAR would have overturned because there was very little contact on it. So, yeah, Swansea lost. But looking back at it, they endured mighty Manchester City and should have beat them. Pep Guardiola said, hey, that, that should have been your game. You outplayed us and everything afterwards. That's That's the kind of team I root for. Let's tie this all back because that's the kind of team that everybody listening to this podcast roots for, a team that beats the team that they're playing but actually loses to the team that they're playing. That was Nebraska last year, 3-9. Yeah. The best the best three-win team, nine-loss team in the history of college football. We'll see what can happen in uh, in 2022. We're a week, a week or so away um, from, from the kickoff of the new year. Brady, I'm excited to, to read your coverage throughout the season. Um, welcome to the podcast. Hope to have you back again. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, and it'll be a season to remember, I'm sure. Hey, real quick before you get out of here, what's your Twitter account? Where can people follow you? Oh, you can follow me just my name, uh, Brady Oltmans, B-R-A-D-Y-O-L-T-M-A-N-S on the Twitter. Um, I'll try to keep it mostly Husker coverage specific, but you'll probably get some Swansea tweets, some cooking tweets and any outdoorsy stuff that I can think of. So uh, hopefully that doesn't uh, steer you away too much. That sounds good. Go follow him on Twitter. Read his stuff on hailvarsity.com. If you're not already subscribed, go to hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the promo code varsity, all caps varsity. Make sure that you're able to read everything and that you can get the magazine delivered to your mailbox every month. Shouts to Brady for coming on this podcast this week. Shouts to Cam for producing the episode every week. And shouts to you guys for listening every week. We will be back next week for the first Game Week podcast that we've had in months. I'm excited. We're almost there. Thanks, guys. A Huda Media Production.